throat good to go. I'm really excited to uh, be preaching to you today. It's been a year. Um, but the best news is that Lloyd asked me to speak to graduation, the graduate class on Wednesday, and he said I only had seven minutes. And if you guys know me, I can't do anything in seven minutes. So it's going to be 70 minutes today. Um, no, it's not. But I'm always worried I might go a little long, so I'm just going to get moving right away. I'm excited to talk to you guys about something that I struggle with all the time. Um, and I thought I'd start with a few uh, funny stories to get us going. A state trooper pulled a man over for speeding on a deserted road. Since the road was clear and the weather fine, the trooper had indicated that he may not give the man a ticket and let them off with a warning. He even complimented both the man and his wife for wearing their seatbelts. At that point, the woman leaned over and said, Well, officer, when you drive the speeds we do, you have to wear them. Yeah, that's when the trooper wrote the ticket. You see, often we don't think before we speak, and we can really put our foot in our mouth. Take this story, for instance. It was his first day on the job. He was a new clerk in the supermarket. A lady came up to him and said that she wanted to buy half a head of lettuce. He tried to dissuade her from the goal, but she persisted. Finally, he said, I'll have to go back and talk to the manager. He went to the rear of the store to talk to the manager, not noticing that the woman was following behind. When he got into the back of the store, he said to the manager, there's some stupid old bag out there who wants to buy a half a lettuce. What should I tell her? And seeing the horrified look on the face of the manager, he turned about and seeing the woman added, and this nice lady wants to buy the other half of lettuce. <laughs> Will that be all right? Relieved, the manager said, that would be fine. I'm sure that at one point or another, we all have put our foot in our mouth. Luckily, this boy redeemed himself by his quick thinking, right? Or did he? Later in the same day at the store, the manager congratulated the boy on his quick thinking and asked, Where are you from, son? The boy said, I'm from Toronto, Canada, the home of beautiful hockey players and ugly women. The manager replied, My wife is from Toronto. <laughs> to which the boy said, Oh, what team does she play for? Has your mouth ever gotten you into trouble? My favorite example. Jean and Carolyn were entertaining for the first time since the birth of their baby. Everything ran smoothly until one of Jean's buddies arrived with his new girlfriend, a woman whom Carolyn did not particularly care for. She beckoned her husband upstairs with the excuse that they had to check on the baby. In the privacy of the nursery, she spoke freely of her disdain for the new guest. When they went downstairs to rejoin the party, you know where this is going, don't you? They were greeted with an awkward silence, except for the occasional murmuring of the sleeping baby that came from the infant monitor sitting on the table. Yeah. According to stats, the average person spends at least one-fifth of his or her life talking. Now, I'm just curious. If that's the average person then how much more of my life do I spend talking? Half? Three-fourths? I'm hearing some wagers out there. All I know is, yikes, ordinarily in a single day, enough words are used to fill a 50-page book. I'm most certain that my book has twice that much in a day. 
When a doctor examines a patient, he will often ask him to stick out his tongue, right? This is helpful in diagnosing the illness. Spiritually, the tongue test is also valid for what we say is extremely revealing of where our heart is with the Lord. In the book of James, six different times, James deals with the tongue. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you speak clearly through me, Lord, that I may enunciate my words and preach your word, Father, that it may pierce the souls and hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word that's living and active now, and I just ask you to go with me and that we would uh, be able to have our heart prepared and understand what it is you want to share with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and look at... um, My title today is Hung by Your Tongue. I think we all know those examples are classic examples of being hung by your tongue, and I'm sure we can think of many, many more. And uh, I didn't want to use any of my own, um, so I pulled some out of uh, research. But James 3, 1 through 12, we're going to look at this text. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with us. I'm going to be in the New King James Version. Many of you have read this passage before, and I'm hoping maybe I can take a different spin on it today, teach you something new. Um, A lot of um, biblical verses to digest today, so I'm looking forward to, to breaking it down. The untamable tongue. My brethren, not let many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. It's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the, sim- in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. James, having just dealt with the relationship of faith and works in chapter 2, he's now moving on to deal with the relationship of faith and, and words. He's emphasizing that our words reveal what's in our heart. James is writing to an audience that is having a tough time controlling their tongues. Let's take a look at verse 1 again. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Verse 1 focuses on a warning to teachers. A teacher's greatest weapon is their speech. Teachers will be judged by a higher standard and with greater severity than other people. Take note that words are powerful. How many children have heard their parents say to them, sadly enough, you are useless and you will never amount to anything. How about teachers saying, you are useless and you will never amount to anything. Because I'm a teacher, I know that words are power. Children, students, youth, they allow words to shape their lives today. 
A teacher is a special calling in Christian ministry. Teachers were responsible to tell others how to live, and as Neil talked a few weeks ago, how to rebuke them through godly instruction and biblical principles. The first thing that I want to share about teachers is that one who uses his or her tongue in teaching the scriptures assumes added responsibility before God and man. If you have your little um, bulletin, your handout, that first blank is one who uses his or her tongue in teaching the scripture assumes added responsibility before God and man. And I truly believe this in both teaching as a youth pastor, teaching in the pulpit, And more importantly, and most significantly for me, teaching my students in third grade and now into sixth grade. Three things were of great importance of those who aspired to be teachers. They were to, number one, know the truth. If a person does not have a thorough knowledge of God's word, he will not be able to teach others. Number two, live the truth. This has to be the passion of James, the thrust of who James was. Godliness was to characterize all believers... But this must be especially true of teachers today. And finally, and the hardest at times, teach the truth. This would seem the most obvious, but unfortunately it's sadly lacking in today's churches. Many would rather entertain as pastors rather than encourage and edify the congregation. You see, unbelievers unbelievers need to hear the glorious message of the gospel so that they can believe and be saved. That is the responsibility of a teacher. James gives us a strong reminder that teachers are to be careful. They have greater responsibility and will have greater judgment before Christ. Verse 2, we are all, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Verse 2 is stating that we all stumble and no one is perfect. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a man on earth who does good and does not sin. If I stumble over something that's lying around, it's because I'm careless and have not been looking where I'm going. If I stumble with my tongue, it's because I'm careless and have lost control of this little member of my body. The second thing that I want to share with you, if one can exercise control in their speech, he or she should not have difficulty in practicing self-control in other areas of their life as well. Difficulty in practicing self-control in other areas of their life as well. Some of my closest friends who are really good at putting a tight rein on their tongue are some of my most self-controlled friends. They really show godliness in all that they do. For me, I struggle with this area, and it, it trickle effects to everything else, all the other behaviors that we have. It starts with your tongue, that little member. But I believe I'm a man after God's own heart, just like many of these men were in the Bible. Here are a few examples of men in the Bible who've let their tongue get the best of them, and these are just a few. Job. Job said to the Lord, Behold, I'm vile, what shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Isaiah. Isaiah was a godly servant of Jehovah, yet he had to also confess, I am done, for I'm a man with unclean lips. 
How about Moses? Moses was one of God's greatest servants. And yet it is recorded in the book of Psalms that he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. These are just a few of the many in God's word who allow themselves to be hung by their tongue. Sometimes what our tongues say is funny. Sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's just plain right offensive. Someone once said, we should remember that the tongue is in a wet place and can slip easily. God certainly knew what he was doing when he put our tongues in a cage behind our teeth, walled in by our mouths. Think about that again. Maybe write this down. When I was sharing this with my wife, she was like, oh, that's a really neat thing. Yeah. God certainly knew what he was doing when he put our tongues in a cage behind our teeth, walled in by our mouths. When doing some research, I learned that the Bible assures us of quite a few different kind of tongues. I've listed them all. A wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, filthy tongue, corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, angry tongue, crafty tongue, slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a murmuring tongue, complaining tongue, cursing tongue, whispering tongue, and an exaggerating tongue. And these are just some of them. Now, this isn't like Taxi Cab Confessions time where we're going to go through and start checking off which tongue we have. But I can assure you that I can check off quite a few of those. Have I ever said things that are foolish? Have I ever said things that are filthy? Have I ever whispered something about someone? Have I ever exaggerated? Have I ever boasted? So then how are we going to avoid being hung by our tongues? I want to give us three keys today that will help us from allowing our tongue to be a noose around our neck. First key, never underestimate its power. Most people underestimate the power of the tongue. James tells us that the tongue is a small part of the body that makes great boasts. And James gives us two illustrations to drive his point home. Let's look at these verses. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Our tongue has the power to control our lives. Plain and simple. That's the first blank there. Our tongue has the power to control our lives. Wait for the second blank. It's coming in a minute. Something so small can steer something so large. Compared to the size of a horse, a bit is relatively small. When a rider wants the horse to stop or turn to the left or the right, he pulls on the reins and the bit presses against the horse's tongue, enabling the rider to control the whole body of the horse. Yet no horse has ever bridled itself, and we also do not bridle ourselves. Our master trainer seeks to control our speech with a bit of God's word. Let me say that again. Our master trainer seeks to control our speech with a bit of God's word. Psalm 39, 1 says, 
I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. Could have said mouth with a bridle. The second illustration is a rudder. For those of you that like boat analogies or ship analogies from my first time that I preached, ships are large in size and driven by strong winds, but a small rudder can direct them. The one who controls the rudder determines the direction of the whole ship. A boat without a rudder is at the mercy of the winds. It has no direction and will never make its destination. Strong winds can cause the boat to crash on the rocks. Friends, none of us are immune from the storms of the life that we face today. We need a rudder and our master pilot in control. We need a rudder and our master pilot in control. You can see the two illustrations that James has so clearly depicted. Therefore, from these two illustrations, James implies that our tongue directs our lives. It controls the direction in which we're traveling. Now that's power. Our tongue can either encourage or discourage. It can either heal or hurt. Remember that saying growing up? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, whoever said that phrase was not aware of this sad, of one of many sad stories. Karen Carpenter, for those of you a little bit older, you know Karen Carpenter, the beloved musician, died unexpectedly of heart failure at age 32. It was brought on by years of self-abuse from the eating disorder anorexia nervosa. Later, a reporter from CBS asked one of her family members, So what brought on Karen's fatal obsession with weight control? It seems a reviewer once called her Richard's chubby little sister. Could one single comment impact the direction of one's life? This is just one story of many that we hear today of how words have destroyed people's self-image and so many other things. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is also set on fire by hell. Not only can the tongue control our lives, but the tongue can also corrupt our lives. The tongue controls our lives But two verses later, James quickly shares that the tongue can corrupt our lives as well. This is a terrible picture of the tongue. A fire can begin with a little spark and soon destroy a great forest or a whole city. The words that we speak can start fires also. Think of how many people have had their reputations ruined by careless words spoken. How many have spoiled their own testimony by words that proceeded from their mouths? How many have corrupted a work for God by the things that they might have said? Like a fire, the tongue can really heat things up. A hot head and a hot heart can ignite a fiery tongue. Let me say that again. A hot head and a hot heart can ignite a fiery tongue. Benjamin Franklin once said, and you'll see this later on the, uh, on the PowerPoint. A slip of the foot you may soon recover, but a slip of the tongue you may never get over. 
Proverbs 17, 27 says, He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of calm spirit. James further tells us that the tongue is a world of evil, of iniquity. It's a corrupting force set on fire by hell. Just think about the immense and awful damage that, it's done, that has been done by the fire of words, rumor, gossip, and cutting remarks, to name a few. I can't help but think about marriages destroyed, children disturbed, friendships damaged, reputations ruined, wars fought, fights aroused, and injuries caused. This list could keep going, but I think you're getting the point. The tongue defiles the whole body and sets on fire the whole course of a man's life. In Greek, course of nature means the wheel of nature or life. The unending span of life stretching from their birth to their death. Therefore, the tongue can pollute and contaminate a man's whole body and life. These are shocking things that I was realizing as I was, as I was studying and writing and praying and self-examining. You know why? Because we are known by the way we talk. What we say gives others a pretty good idea of who and what we really are. Are the words of your mouth uplifting or destructive? Psalm 55:21 says, His speech is smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Just think for a moment how all the evil of the world finds expression in our words. That's because Satan is the igniter of a fiery tongue. He uses our tongue as a weapon of mass destruction. We who are believers are not supposed to speak forth the fiery flames of hell's destructive words. These words that are divisive, unclean, angry, unkind, and ugly. Ephesians 4, 29, 31 is one of my favorite passages in regarding watching our mouth. And Maddie's here today, one of my students, and I know she knows this verse because we learned it in our class this year. I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible, though, because I think it really drives home the point. Ephesians 4, 29 through 31. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break His heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for Himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. Be gentle with one another and sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, never underestimate the power of the tongue to hurt you. It can and will destroy all that you have. It can and will destroy all that you are. And it can and will destroy all that you're striving to be. A second key to this a solution of helping us to tame our tongues is never turn it loose. We must not only never underestimate the power of the tongue, but we must never turn it loose. Something with this much destructive power must be carefully watched and consistently monitored. If we let our tongues run wild, we will eventually be hung by our tongue. Our tongue must be guarded 
at all times. Let me say that again. Our tongue must be guarded at all times. Proverbs tells us that we're supposed to guard our heart for it is the wellspring of life. Well, if the tongue is a reflection of our heart, then I think it drives home a point that we need to guard not only our heart, but our tongue as well because there's a reflection there. Proverbs 21:23 says, Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. We must treat the tongue like a wild animal that is incapable of being domesticated, brought home as a pet. Verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The illustration is that the tongue is both fierce yet passionate. We're informed that man has been able to tame all sorts of animals. Yet no one... Yes, no one can tame the tongue, except for God. The tongue is likened to a wild animal fighting fiercely against the restraints of captivity. We know that we're unable to tame the tongue, but that does not give us an excuse to not try to control it. We are still asked to control and to guard If we're unable to control wild beasts by keeping them in cages and by putting them in harnesses, likewise, we must do the same with our tongues. If we're able to control wild beasts by putting them in cages and and harnesses, likewise, we must try to do the same with our tongues. One One way we're going to be able to cage our tongue is to close our mouth. Or if you just want it plain and simple, shut our mouth. I know, Mom, you don't like me saying that, but it's true. We need to shut our mouth, not say so much. An ancient proverb says, A closed mouth gathers no feet. Furthermore, it has been said that if your mind should go blank, don't forget to turn off the sound. James compares the unruly, untamed tongue to a snake's bite in verse 8. Just as the bite of a snake can inject poison into our system and pose great harm and danger to us, so a loose tongue can also inject poison of deceit, lies, and rumors. It can destroy, pollute, and corrupt morally and socially and economically and spiritually. We need to ask God to help us guard what we say. David prayed, In Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Know and believe that the Lord has the power to control your tongue and never, yes, never, turn it loose. The third and final key today that I want to share with you, and probably the most convicting to me, is always listen to what it says. Always listen to what your mouth, your tongue says. You see what we say says something about us. Unless we're listening, we will miss the message. James finishes off with some careful observations of our human nature. Let's finish off with verses 9 through 12. And with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. 
Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. But my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. What James is saying here is that the tongue is a reflection of who we are because it reveals what is in our hearts. It reveals what is in our hearts. In fact, this is, a, this is precisely what I believe Jesus was teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew twelve thirty four, it says, Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, the condition of our heart determines the content of our words. The condition of our heart determines the content of our words. Furthermore, in verse 36 of that same passage, it reminds us that for every idle word men may speak, they will have to give an account of it in the day of judgment. I know about you, but I've already got a list that I've got to give you know, account for, and I want to start new and fresh and guard my tongue so that I don't have to put any more on the list when I meet my maker face to face. This passage shows us that there's definite inconsistencies with our tongue. And he writes of two more illustrations that obviously make us weary of this two-sided tongue. First, a spring fountain does not produce salt or bitter water, or in the NIV, fresh water and salt water. Secondly, neither does a fig tree produce olives. We talked about men who let their tongue get the best of them earlier, but in Matthew 26:72. I'm reminded of yet another example of a godly man who both blessed and cursed Jesus all in the same day. He was his number one fan, his number one right-hand man disciple with Jesus whenever he could be. And this man was no, none other than Peter. It was Peter, and he denied Jesus three times. In the same day after he said, Oh Lord, I will never, I will never I will never fall, I will never stumble, I will never offend, and I will never leave you, my Master, my Lord. We too also fall victim with our tongues, and we exhibit Peter-like behavior in our own lives, sadly enough. But friends, doesn't it bother you that we, can't be, that we can be praising God right now in church, praising God right now in church, but then an hour later, we're cursing the driver that just cut us off on the way home. Or maybe we're talking behind someone's back because we didn't like what they said or how they looked or, or what they, how they've been treating us lately. Is that edifying or encouraging? This should bother us. It bothers me, and I've been really convicted. We should listen carefully to ourselves and the words that come out of our mouth, as I've said over and over through this message. Then we should wholeheartedly examine and do something about what we're hearing as it comes out. When I was uh, learning um, some things about youth ministry, I learned three different things. You can either feel, think, and then act on it. Or you can think, feel, and then act. Or you can mix those up in any different direction you want. But unfortunately, I seem to always act, think, 
then feel, or feel, act, and think, but no matter what, think was always at the end. I never thought about what I was saying. Maybe that's why my parents used to call me a mouthpiece. I don't know, maybe. Right? But I'm learning as I'm growing up and I'm maturing that my words can hurt, and they have hurt. I have one final story to conclude with. I think you guys will like this one. A minister was making a wooden trellis to support a climbing vine. As he was pounding away, he noticed that a little boy was watching him. The youngster didn't say a word, so the preacher just kept on working, thinking that the lad would finally leave. But he didn't. Pleased at the thought that his work was being admired, the pastor finally said to the young man, Well, son, trying to pick up on some pointers on gardening, are you? The boy quickly responded, No, I'm just waiting to hear what a preacher says when his thumb is hit with a hammer. My prayer for all of us is that if we do not like what we hear from our mouths, that we readily recognize the condition of our heart. The only way to change our heart is to turn turn to God and humble ourselves. Perhaps we need a heart makeover. Because as, as the proverb says, a hateful heart cannot produce loving words. A hateful heart cannot produce loving words. But when our hearts are right before the Lord, then our tongues will more consistently speak of things that are encouraging, edifying, building up, and healing. Is your tongue a fountain that is bitter waters or sweet waters or a little bit of both? Is your mouth, when it, when it exercises itself, is it giving a build-up or a tear-down to your friends, to your family, to those that see you in positions of authority or wherever it may be in your work life or your job, I encourage you to guard your heart, guard your mouth, and make this be your prayer. Remember the words of David in Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The New Living Translation reads this way. Create in me a clean heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. I pray that that will be our prayer as a congregation and we will only build unity through our tongues and our mouth and, and our heart that our actions may glorify God in all that we do. I appreciate this time to speak to you guys and share from my heart. I'd like to close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do ask, Lord, that you would just uh, give us a fresh start. Lord, if we've been convicted today by anything that you wanted to share in the message Lord, I pray that we would just go before you right now, Lord, and confess our sins to you, Lord. That we'd ask that we would have a fresh start, that you would allow us to guard the things that we say, whether it be filthy language or gossip or slander or insults or cutting remarks, whatever it may be, Father, for for murmuring things or exaggerating or complaining or boasting, Father, I just ask that you would now convict us, Lord, and, and not leave this room today without making a fresh start, Lord, because we know that you can. We know that you're our master trainer. We know that you're our master pilot, Lord, and that you want to steer our lives in the right direction. And Lord, I ask that you create a clean heart in us, Lord. Allow us to think and dwell on things that are pure and lovely and noble and admirable, trustworthy and excellent, Father. 
Lord, thank you again for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks volumes in our lives. Now may we be challenged, may we apply it to our lives, and may we go out today, Lord, and be witnesses to those who don't know you. We love you, we praise you, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.